Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. All right, so we're going to get back into the book of Romans. It's been a while since we've been here. Remember, we went into Christmas into the neighborhood uh, right in the beginning of December. So it's been since the last Sunday of November that we were here. And, uh, and so I just want to kind of give you a quick recap, if, if, if I can. Uh, we kind of started out in Romans 1. We've had five installments of, of Romans. The first two were Good News Part 1, Part 2, and kind of did an intro on Paul. And just so you know, if you ever want to go back and find these, they're available to you at our website. If you just go to cvchurch.org and you click on Messages, you will see there that there's like a filter thing. And you can just go to Series, find the Romans series, and when you click that, they'll all be available there. And they're all 30, 35 minutes. It might be worth your time this week to kind of catch up to where we are, but we kind of give an overview of Paul and his great story. And I love Romans chapter 1, verse 8. There it talks about how Paul recognizes and, and talks about how their faith in Jesus has been made known worldwide. Like, imagine going viral where there is no social media and internet. They're, they're going viral. Their, their faith in Jesus is now known worldwide. That's how he talks about the church in Rome. And he's talking about all the believers in Rome. And so uh, in, in chapter 1, it ends pretty intense. The last, you know, verse 18 through 32, Paul kind of goes on a rant talking about people, maybe primarily Jews in his mind, thinking like they, they knew God. They, they knew about God. They, they knew the law. But they chose wickedness. They, they chose greed. They, they chose vile sexual acts. They chose to disobey their parents like they. And I, and I feel like he's kind of gathering all the believers in this, talking about how they have known about God, but they chose other ways. And I think I would hear the church like, yes, that's right. That, that's what they did. And then he takes this turn between Romans 1 and Romans 2, and he, and he goes from using the they to using you. Remember this, this was the message on the, the bay window and the mirror and how it's kind of turned now. And he's like, so now, now that we know what they've done, now let's talk about what, what you have done. You know, yeah, we can all point at the sin of other people. We can all look at the evil and the injustice and we can all point that out. But what, how good are we at pointing out the things happening within our own lives? And, man, this, this portion of the letter where we're at in just the first few chapters, it's already very intense. And just, you know, heads up, it's going to stay somewhat intense today because we're going to pick up right where we ended. We ended at verse 11. Today we're going to start 12 through um, 16. We're going to go 12 through 16. And today if you're wondering what makes the biggest difference to God, we'll clearly, clearly understand and learn that lesson today. But it's intense. It's very straightforward. But how many of y'all know that's good for us? That's the kind of message we're going to have um, today. So let's stand up. Let's read out of our primary text. If you're visiting with us or watching online, you wonder if we're going to do this every time we read out of the Bible. We're not going to do that. But we do this the first time we read uh, just as, you know, just reverence to God. This is his word. This is not man's word. This is God's word for us um, today. And so we're going to be in the book of Romans, the sixth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Chapter 2, we'll start at verse 12 and read through 16. Let's read it. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. 
And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by the law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience, and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. Verse 16, and this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this book. Thank you for this letter. And thank you for what it's going to do to us. And Lord, we just thank you and know that you're already in this room in, in, in our time of worship. We, we lifted our voices to you. We lifted our hands to you, Lord. We acknowledge your goodness. We acknowledge your, your sovereignty, God. Thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for the work that you're doing within each of our hearts, God, and in our families and in our lives, Father. Thank you, God, that you know us so well. You know every detail of our life. You know everything taking place in our homes, in our life, God. And so, Lord, today we just pray that during these next 25 minutes, God, you would help us to truly grasp what it is you have specifically for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray and together everybody said Amen. As you take your seat, I just want to let you know that if for some reason you're in the building today and you don't have a Bible and you've been thinking, man, I need to get a Bible. I want you to know we've purchased Bibles for, uh, for people who may need a Bible. And so right outside these doors on those tabletops, there's Bibles. Just be sure if you want an English or a Spanish Bible, make sure you check to make sure you got the right uh, language. But that's, that's for you. Take it with you. Mark it up, enjoy it, thank you for being with us. And we really mean it. Those of you visiting with us, if you came with a friend or however you found us, thank you so much uh, for being with us. All right, so I got a quick question for you, and that is this. How important is knowing the Bible? Like in your own opinion, a scale to 1 to 10, how would you say, how important is knowing the Bible? Like to you specifically, or maybe in your family, maybe you grew up, in a, in a Christian home, how important would you say knowing the Bible was? was? You know, uh, what's your daily discipline like based on, on, on the answer to this question? How important would you say knowing the Bible is? Would you say it's really important? Would you say it's one of the most important things in my life? Would you say it's, it's there for sure? It's not the most important thing, but, you know, I don't know, I don't know where you're at with that. But we're going to kind of work through some of that answering that question today. Before I get to some of that, I just want to share something with you. Uh, so growing up, every time I get up here, I give you guys more things to tease me about. You remember the car accident, the Camaro car accident in the mall parking lot all by myself? That was, that was you know, so earlier, rewind, same car, same guy, rewind two years. I'm coming home from a basketball game, and my brother's coming back from winter break on college, so I'm really excited to get home to see my brother. So uh, when I leave the basketball game, I, I kind of take some country roads to get home. And it's dark, it's 10-something at night, I'm just trying to get home, and, and, and I get pulled over by the police, and, and he's pretty upset with me, and I'm really happy to get home and see my brother. I'm wondering why he's so upset. I rolled my window down. He said, son, do you know how fast you're going? I'm like, I, no, I don't, sir, but I'm just really excited. And he goes, no, no, listen to me. You're going like 90 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour road. 
And I'm like, I'm, that's my bad. You know, I'm owning up to my mistakes, right? My dad was the chaplain for the police department, by the way. So he called my dad and just, I just want to let you know that I've, you, you, someone's going to have to come get your son. He's not driving this car again. Right? I got my license taken away, by the way, for six months because of that ticket. Anyway, when I got home, and I think it was about 80, it could have been a little more. My dad was ticked. He was so upset. And I'm like, Dad, I know. I know, Dad, I know. And he's like, no, you don't know. I'm like, Dad, I know. I was happy Isaac was coming home tonight. That's why. Like, if you knew, you wouldn't have been pulled over. As a dad, now I totally appreciate the lessons that I've learned as a young man in my home because I have growing children. Do you have children? Raise your hand if you have children. Maybe if you don't have children. Have you ever been a child? Have you ever been a son or a daughter? Yeah? Okay, so we've all learned some valuable life lessons over the course of our life. In my home, think, there's some funny rules. Like we couldn't, I don't know why, but we couldn't say things like shut up or shut your mouth or shut your mouth or stupid or idiot. I know my parents were so strict. It's crazy. Y'all look at me like you couldn't. We couldn't say variations of any of those words. We couldn't say those things in Spanish or nothing. We just couldn't say a lot of those things. But the one thing that if we said, my dad would get ticked off was just, just yesterday I had to ask my son, my oldest son, who's in this room and I won't look nowhere near him. Just yesterday I said, do you mind if I use this conversation as an example? He's like, yeah. He had no idea what I was referencing. But I'm like, hey, it's been a while since you've done that. And he's like, I know. <laughs> if you knew, if you know it, then, yeah, that's sort of like the conversation that we're going to have today. But just before we get a little bit into the intense part that I told you about, listen, you're not the only frustrated parent out there. Just just real quick, this is from, I had to block out their name because they attend here. They're pretty popular. If you saw it, you'd be disappointed. But anyway, listen, it's so exciting. My son turned 14 and now he knows everything, everything. I don't have to tell him anything anymore because he already knows. In fact, he knows more than I do and more than his dad does. We couldn't be more thrilled. What a joyous time. At least I find comfort in knowing I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. Aside from the humor that we get from our children and from our own mistakes, as adults, as believers of Christ, this is actually a major frustration that Paul is addressing to the churches in Rome. See, as we read, it's helpful to understand that, you know, you keep hearing Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile. Let's just kind of make sure we understand what Paul means when he says. So Jews would have been those that received God's written law, right? They, they were in the synagogue weekly, and so they were, they were hearers of the law. They, they heard the law. If you grew up in one of these homes, you would have heard the law over and over and over again. Did you grow up in church by chance? I grew up in church, and every Sunday we went to church, and before church started, we had one hour of 
Sunday school, and in Sunday school, we would hear stories. Matter of fact, when you have new children, how many of you have bought some sort of baby's Bible stories and read to your babies that are three months old the story of Noah and Jonah? And like we just kind of begin that process right away, right? If you would have grown up Jewish, that, that would have been the same thing for you. You would have gone to the synagogue and heard the law. And, and so you're a Jew if you were, you know, part of that that group, that the Israelites, the chosen people, right? That, that, those are the Jews. If you weren't one of them, then you are a Gentile, the rest of all of humanity. So when Paul's addressing Jew and Gentile, it's easy to kind of know, okay, I'm t- you know, is it God's covenant people or, or is it not, right? So there's clearly fundamentally, you know, they're different from one another. The Gentiles, God gave them the law in their hearts, right? Uh, even scripture talks about it being in the very fabric of all humanity, right? Regardless of who you are, you were woven together by the very hands of God, right? And, and he's confident in just that alone, you will have like a moral compass, right? You don't need to know Jesus to, to, to be morally, you know, some of the most generous people I've known in my whole life don't walk with Jesus. Where does that come from, right? They were woven together by the, by the hands of, of God, right? So, so we see those two types of, uh, of differences. Now, understanding the audience. So Paul is writing to uh, uh, the churches in Rome, which, you know, I read about a million people, a million people, churches, some of them even house churches. And, and Paul, again, is, you know, this beginning part of this letter, he's talking about Hey, I, the faith you have in Jesus is, is known worldwide. To me, that says you're a vibrant church. You know, this is 50 plus years after Christ resurrects from the dead. He's writing to this church in Rome saying, hey, your faith in, in, in God is known worldwide. I just, I, you know, I, I applaud you. I want to come and, and be a part of that, share my gift with you and be on the, the receiving end of, of your spiritual gifts. Remember, we read that in the beginning stages of Paul. But, so, but there is a history to the churches here. And so initially these churches were, were Jewish churches. And, and then some, some stuff happened and, and, and the Jews fled and then they were Gentile churches. But when this letter is written to them, it's a blend of people. It's a blend of both. Both would, it's sort of like what's happening today. And, and in just a moment, we're going to look at how, you know, what's the secondary audience, what, you know, which is, which is us. But as we look at the primary audience, as we look at like the, who, who this letter was written to in the first century, it's a blend of Jews and Gentiles, which we know would be, there are some fundamental differences within the church. It would be true if we said there was tension even in the church. Because they had different ways. So I'll just start by saying Jews, they kind of carried themselves with like this self-righteous kind of walk. Because they were God's chosen people. They had the law, right? Maybe they felt as if when judgment comes, you know, we're going to get to skid right through that thing because we're the chosen people. And Paul's saying, no, you'll actually maybe be held even to a higher level of accountability because you had the law, right? You know, the Jews had certain you know, dietary things or, you know, Sabbath. Like they just had these, these things ingrained in them as Jews that Gentiles didn't observe. They didn't do these kinds of things. So there was tension happening within the body of Christ. And you have to understand that so that way when you see that 
Paul kind of turns up the intensity, you're kind of wondering, like, is this the same church that's going viral for their faith in Jesus? Because in the first part of the chapter, Paul's really, you know, recognizing, you know, that this is a really great church. But in, you know, the beginning of chapter 2, they've got some serious issues. Remember the bay window and the, and the mirror talked about, yeah, it's easy to identify the sin of other people. Like we could easily point at each other in this room and say, I know what you're up to. I know your sin. I know you. And Paul's saying, but can you do that within it's important that we know. Maybe is Paul suggesting that there's a poor application of Scripture? Is he suggesting like, hey, you know, you know the law, but are you actually applying what you know? Is he suggesting that, hey, you got to be careful. You could potentially be tainting your reputation for those on the outside. You got to be, you got to be, I'm just, be reminded of that. Jews would say things like, I know, I know that already. Or, you know, these kinds of people maybe sit in churches and they, when, when the preacher's talking about something or teaching on something, they do that little nudge like, you should be paying extra special attention to this portion. That's that kind of self-righteous, that elite spirit type thing of like, yeah, thank God I know that, but thank God she's here. Or thank God, thank God my son is here for this one. Oh, this is exactly what they needed. Paul's doing this great thing of turning the they to the you. Um, yeah, you ever look across the church on a Sunday morning and you see somebody here like, I'm so glad they're here. This is exactly what they needed to hear. That's sort of like, I'm not saying you're one of them, but that could have, anyway. So, but Paul, you need to know this. Paul was a Jew. Matter of fact, Here's how he kind of talked about himself in Philippians 3.5. Paul's a Jew. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which is a huge deal. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever, ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, pure to whom demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Maybe Paul's turning up the heat because he knows his kind of people. Maybe he knows how people really are. Maybe, maybe that's why he's turning up the heat like, yeah, I'm talking to you in this way because I know how I am. I know I grew up around it. Maybe he's kind of turning up the heat because of that. So let's understand our secondary audience then, which would be those of you sitting in the room this morning. You know, what are the real tensions that exist in this body? Maybe not just specific to Cedar Valley, but maybe just maybe the churches within this area. You know, what are those real tensions? And here we are working side by side. We just finished a worship set together side by side, worshiping the same God. Yet we come from so many different walks of life and many different nations and many different languages and many different cultures and different ethnicities and different practices and different traditions. Many of us do Christmas differently from one another. We do Thanksgiving different from one another. We, we have different thoughts and, and, and ideas when it comes to our own faith. We're different. 
So on, the, on the same Sunday, I'll have five people come and say, the music is unbelievable. Don't be afraid to turn it up. And without having a moment to celebrate that somebody else is yanking on the other arm saying, can you please, for the love of God, turn the music down. Same Sunday, same kind of people. Some people say it's way too dark when we worship. Some people say it is way too bright when we worship. It's crazy. Those are just the easy ones. But I come from a church in northern New Mexico where church, the way we did it, is so different than the way we do it here now. I mean, just the way we think about baptism, the way we think about child dedication, the way we think about order and service. Women on the platform, can women wear jeans? Can women go to the movies? Can women even talk? Can, can, I mean, can the, can the youth do a, a potluck? Can the youth watch a movie? Can, like, it, they're so, we're so different. Those tensions are so real right here. Right here, um, right here in this room. Like, do you have to close your eyes to pray? Some of you might think, you better be closing your eyes when you pray. While others are saying, I don't think it really matters. Do you have to kneel down when you pray? Some of you would think you absolutely have to kneel down when you pray. That's reverence. And some would say, no, you should stand up when you pray. Others would say, you should run when you pray. <laughs> some say, Who can, just pray. At the, just pray, right? Can a woman lead us in communion? Because when that happens, some people get irritated or no. I don't, should I go into some more of our, we have some real tensions happening right here within our own, you know, can you have hair longer than your ears if you're a guy? Can you wear earrings? Can you have tattoos? What if you drink beer? What, what, oh my gosh, what if your holes, your jeans have holes and you're on the platform? Can you wear show, shoes that show your toes while you lead worship? Is that allowed? JJ was asking, that's why I just wanted to make sure, I just wanted to make sure, sorry to throw you out there. I didn't want them to think that was me. The bullseye of today's message is this. It's verse 13 in the, in the message translations, which says, Doing, not hearing, is what makes the difference with God. That's, that's what you have to leave with today. That's what matters most today. That is the bullseye of what our talk is about today. Doing. Not hearing is what makes the difference with God. And this word hearing in the Greek, also, like, it can also mean like to be an audience or to be a noise. Which to me is like, if you just come on a Sunday morning and you're just part of the audience, you're missing the mark. Or if you're, you know, or if you're just making the noise, clapping, singing, shouting, but you're not applying what you're learning, you're missing the mark. That's the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, to just be an audience. In the Hebrew, it's the word shema, which is actually these two words together. It's not a separate word, it's together. Doing is actually, it's the doing and the hearing. It's, it's both together. That's the true idea. That's why we gather. That's why we read the word of God. That's why we do our devotions. That's why we walk with people in life groups. We do this so that as we acquire more knowledge, as we learn more about who God is and, and, and all those great things, as we learn them, we apply them. That's the bullseye. And this is Paul's, 
This is Paul's frustration is that you have heard it, you have heard it, you have learned it, you've been around it, it's been a part of you, but you fail to apply what you know. I wonder what Paul would write to us today. What would he write to us today? You know, the the definition of self-righteous is just someone who is totally correct or morally superior. Are you always right? Is that a frustration that people in your life have with you? Is you always know. You always know. It's never a conversation. You always know. You know everything about everything. You know it all. It's frustrating. Know it alls bother me. Bad. I know. I know. I know. I know. Like, what would Paul write? Would he talk about the poor application of what we've learned over the course of our years? Would he talk about the reputation being tainted because of our behavior? Like you, you hear it, you see it, you're a part of it. You don't apply it, you don't apply it. Now people on the outside don't want a part of it because they think that if you're the product of what's happening inside, they don't want anything to do with it. There's political tension. If I said one person's name right now, you'd have hair standing up on your neck. But if I said another person's name, you might be like, that's what I'm talking about. And we share the same church, same mission. We give to the same kingdom builder projects. Like we're, we're, we're worshiping side by side together, yet there is a real tension happening within us. And Paul is just really getting us to understand, hey, listen, enough of looking out the window, look in the mirror. Now he's saying, now he's saying, don't just hear, but do. Be transformed. Be transformed. The judgment of God will be righteous and impartial. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your language, your color, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter. Jesus leveled the playing field when he died and rose again. All people are the same. He loves all people the same. So, yeah, the personal tension is we know, but we don't do. We have access to the very best books on spiritual growth and development. We've heard some of the very, very best preachers all of our life. For the last seven years, we've sat under one of the best teachers in the metro city. One dude, high-ranking figure in this city, told me, you're blessed, man. You have the best teacher in the, in the, in the Twin Cities area of the Word of God. We, but before we get all proud, it does no good. It does no good. There's no value if what you learn and what you know is not applied. What value is the Bible if you don't apply it? What value is the Bible in your life? What value is the Bible in my life if we don't apply what it says? There is no value to it. There's no value to the Bible if we don't live it out. That is the value of the Bible. So our big so what today is, is this. If you don't live it, it doesn't matter. If you don't live it, it doesn't. And personally, this makes sense in the context of marriage, right? There's certain things you should be doing in marriage, and if you don't do it, then it doesn't matter. 
raising your kids, there's certain things that you learn and if you don't apply what you learn, whatever it was that you learned, it didn't matter. That's just so true. If, if you don't apply whatever it is you're investing in or reading or searching for or researching, then it doesn't matter. Most importantly, if you don't apply what the Word of God says, it doesn't matter. Now let me just kind of, let's just sit here for a little bit and flesh this out one by one. Read this verse to yourself. And, and I just wonder if you're aware of this. Is this the first time you hear this or maybe are you aware that this is true? If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. First time ever or you've kind of known that for a long time. You've probably known that for a long time, right? You know that God is for the poor. You know that. You know that God is for the poor. God is for the widow. God is for the, the misplaced. God is for the forgotten. God, God is for the marginalized. You know that God's heart is for those people. Many of you, many of us have been maybe in that place or currently are in that place. You know God is for the poor. And then you leave this place and the Bible will come alive because you'll be around somebody who's in great need and it does nothing to you. You see it. You know it. But it doesn't change any of your behavior. You walk right by it. Wait on the next person to do something about it. Maybe is that what Paul's talking about? Is that what he's saying? You know it. You've heard it. This church gave three quarters of a million dollars to kingdom builders last year. We did it for everybody else, but maybe he's just, maybe that's what he's saying. Another verse. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Did you know, did you know about that? Or is this sort of like, okay, I better stop talking like that. I didn't realize that. If you are aware of this, we know it. We're aware of it. But when homegirl shows up with the gossip story, you're like, girl, I'm all ears. It is Monday morning. Give that to me. And within... A few hours you are fully engaged in a conversation you have no business being a part of. Or for some of the men, you know, the locker room talk, right? Or the perversion. And we're laughing along and <laughs> and inside we're like, I'm a dork. What am I doing? What am I doing? Well, I should not be participating in these kinds of conversations. Who knows what you sound like? Who knows? You know. Sometimes, you know, I, I work with high school students a lot, and I always like, hey, did your mama know you talk like that? Just, I don't know, and if they, they do, fine. Did you know about this? And how are we doing with it? Is this what Paul's maybe talking about? You know, you know what God's calling you to do. But when you get put into those situations, when you lose your cool, when you fall, when your 
wheels are falling off the wagon, when you're putting moments of pressure, when you're under the gun, when you're upset, when you're angry, what you know goes out the window. Is this what Paul's talking about? For me, I'd say, oh yeah, that's for sure. Shoot, take Jesus out of me. This thing get me in big old trouble. Last one. Romans 12, 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. For sure, people in this room, for sure, have been on the tragic side of somebody else's evil's choice. Somebody else's evil, evil choice. People we trusted have hurt us, violated us. The system failed you, left you angry and broken. And if it wasn't for the restraint of God's word, you know, you come into churches like this and you, you experience great worship and teaching. And sometimes we fail to acknowledge that people in this body, we can really struggle with things. And, and th for me, this is a touching point for me. Our family's been through some tough things, some injustices. I would never go into the details, but you just trust you. Just trust me when I say, if it wasn't for the restraint that comes from God's word in my life, I was, most certainly would have taken matters into my own hands. No question about it. Just like many of you would have. I've got two good friends, Mr. Smith and Mr. Weston, and I would, I'm, you're not going to see me on the 6 o'clock news tonight. I'm just telling you, like, you're not going to do it. But, but the gospel comes alive in moments when you are so broken by the choices other people make. And you want to take matters into your own hands and you have to trust what the Bible says. Because hearing it and knowing it is not the same as doing it. You have to allow it to become your restraint. Say, God, I know I could take matters into my own hands. But your word says to leave that to the righteous anger of God. I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. What good does it do if you know it, if you don't live it out? Maybe, maybe you're here today, you're like, man, that's, that's me. I'm broken, I'm hurting because of somebody else's doing. I don't know what to do. Here's, here's what you do. Give it to God and you let him take care of it. If you don't live it, it doesn't matter. What value is the Bible in your life, in my life, if we don't apply it. Can you feel the intensity of the message today? Paul writing this letter to believers. I think this leads us to repentance. I think it leads us to repentance. I think it takes us to a place where we repent and say, God, forgive me. I have known that I can trust you. I have known to guard my mouth. I have known to not take matters into my own hands. I have known, 
I have known when it comes to choosing my relationships. I have known when it comes to my money. I have known I was raised in the church or I've been in this thing for a few months and I'm learning and I'm learning, but I'm not applying. I'm not applying. God, forgive me and give me the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit to begin to apply what I learn. So you can't do this by yourself. You cannot do this by yourself. I cannot do this by myself. It is because of the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do this, begin to apply what we are learning, what we know, what we hear, what we read. And that's exactly what Paul is urging us to do. So I'm just going to ask you right now, if that's you, I want you to just come join me right now. Let's repent before God. Let's take a moment and just repent. God, I know, I know, I know what I should be doing, and I fail at doing that. I want to repent of my sin. Would you join me? Come on, let's do it. If you're in the balcony, you don't got to come all the way down. Just get to the front rails right there at the front. Just come to the front rails. Let's come pray together. We're going to sing a song afterwards. But if you're here, I want you to come. Come now. Don't wait on somebody else. Just come. Come. Come forward at this time. I know. I know. I know. feel like that, that Jew that Paul keeps talking about, self-righteousness, elite. Applying the word of God. I'm going to wait another 20 seconds and we're going to pray. Come on, would you? Would you just come? I know that's me. I know that's me. I just know it's me. It's not your neighbor. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's me. It's me God's talking to. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness, God. Lord, we're so grateful that we've had access to the word of God, to learn about it, to hear about it, to grow in knowledge. And God, we also recognize that we have failed to apply it. Not all the time, but we have failed we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in those moments and we want to we want to be made right with you today so we repent, God. We know that that's the reason why Paul even wrote this letter was to be made right with God, to have no distance between me and you. So God, we repent today of that. We repent today of that, Father. Forgive us. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness.